Let us bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you today, a very special day, Sabbath and a high day. We pray that what we do during this time and what we've done during this feast is pleasing and has been pleasing to you. And we pray that you would always help us to remain faithful to you in all our ways, to understand the lesson of this feast, to come out of sin, to acknowledge what your son did through his sacrifice and also the fact that he rose from the grave. And Father, we give you all praise now and we thank you for those here. We thank you for those watching. We pray that your blessings and your provision and your grace would be upon all those here and all those watching online and those worshiping you in spirit and truth in other places. And we give you all praise and we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah and amen. Y'all may be seated. It's a blessing to be here. It's been a blessed feast. I'd like to thank everybody who made an effort to really join during this feast and to be and participate, and it was a blessing. Or today, I want to talk about the resurrection of Yahshua, the Messiah, our Savior. Yahshua fulfilled, as we know, the Passover through his death. We know also that Yahshua fulfilled this feast, that we're in the Feast of Unleavened Bread through his resurrection. We generally put a lot of focus on his death, and we should, but we also need to focus and recognize what he did when he rose from the grave. He conquered the grave. As I was preparing this message, I was considering which is greater, the death or the resurrection, I believe that they are both of equal stature. Without Yahshua's death, we would have no redemption from sin. Without his resurrection, we would have no hope for the resurrection for us. You see, our resurrection is based upon Yahshua's own resurrection. This is why his resurrection is so important, because our resurrection, the hope of eternal life, rests with him. If he never conquered the grave, we would have no grave to conquer. Only because of him do we have a grave to conquer. In John 11, verse 25, Yahshua said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whosoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. As we reviewed his death during the Passover, today I want to focus on his victory over death. Today I want to focus on his resurrection. When this occurred, and we're going to do this much like we did the Passover, we're going to review the events after his death and the resurrection that we find. I want to begin, though, with a concept of first fruits, something we've touched on throughout this feast, but I want to kind of delve into this. So we see this in Leviticus 23, verse 10. It was during this feast, it's kind of a pivotal point, by the way, it was during this feast when the wave sheaf would have been offered. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, why we do it the way we do it. But we know that it was during this feast when the wave sheaf was offered, which was the first fruits of the very first of the barley harvest. So let's uh, look at Leviticus 23, 10 through 14. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. So just real quickly, the morrow after the Sabbath, this is like saying the day after Wednesday. Except in this case, it's not, it's a different day. So the morrow after the Sabbath is Sunday. That's all it's simply saying. The morrow after the Sunday be like saying the, the day after the Sabbath, which would be again Sunday. So morrow after the Sabbath, and the priest shall wave it. So they waved it on Sunday. 
And he shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf, a he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto Yahweh. And the meat offering or the grain offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil and offering made by fire unto Yahweh for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched. Note, notice that you shall not eat and really harvest. We'll talk about that. Nor parched grain nor green ears until the self same day that you have brought an offering unto your Elohim. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So we see here a description of what's called the wave sheaf. The wave sheaf. Now, what do we know about this offering? Well, we know several things. As I've already mentioned, this wave sheaf was the first of the first fruits of the barley harvest. That's so important to understand. In fact, as we see from Deuteronomy 16, verse 9, and also from a Jewish antiquity, including from Josephus and the Mishnah, the Israelites could not harvest until this wave sheaf was offered to Yahweh. Now, this point here is important when confirming the Abi barley for the beginning of the biblical new year. And again, the reason is, is they could not harvest until this wave sheaf was accomplished or done. The wave sheaf offering was, again, the very first fruit grain that would ripen. And when I say ripen, I want to be kind of specific here. The barley had to be sufficiently mature to produce flour. Now, this occurs very, very specifically the earliest during the soft dough stage. As a side note, this uh, offering also began the count of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, also known as Shaviot. All those names have one thing in common. They explain how we count toward Pentecost, and that is 50 days from the wave sheaf. We know that we're to count seven complete Sabbaths, 49 days, seven times seven, 49. You add a 50th day, that arrives at Pentecost because we begin it on a Sunday it will end on a Sunday, or be, uh, the, the, uh, we'll observe it on a Sunday. We also know that the uh, wave sheaf occurred during this feast. Now, how do we know that? Or the main reason is, is this feast commemorates wave sheaf. You wouldn't do the very thing that we're commemorating outside of the feast. So the wave sheaf was offered during the feast, and that's why it's always a Sunday within the feast, not the Sunday outside of the feast, as, as some, doing, some are doing this year. We also know that the wave sheaf consisted of an omer or barley. So what does that mean, an omer or barley? It's roughly one-tenth of an ephah, which we probably still don't really have a good grasp of. Five pints, maybe a little bit more of a help there, is a half a gallon. So that's what they would need, a half a gallon of uh, essentially uh, grain to uh, offer before Yahweh. Now how does this all relate to our Savior? How does it relate to the Messiah? In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 20, Yahshua was the first fruits to be resurrected. We see this. It says here, 15, 20 through 23, it says, But now is Messiah risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but even so in Messiah shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Messiah the first fruits, notice, he's the first. Afterward, they that are Messiahs that is coming, some people say, well, how do we know who's going to be resurrected in the first resurrection? The key's there. It says those of Messiah will be resurrected at his coming. So who are those? Well, this is all those in the Old Testament, obviously, and also those who are immersed and are faithful to him now in the New Testament. 
all those in Messiah. We find here Paul speaking about Yahshua's resurrection. He says here that Yahshua has become the first fruits of those who slept. Now, the word slept here simply means to those who died or those that are in the grave. goes on to say, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. You see, we know through Adam came death, but we know through Yahshua comes life. Mankind, it is through him that we find our own resurrection. While certain believers may have been resurrected before Yahshua, and we, and we see accounts of that in both Old and New, but nobody was resurrected to eternal life. And that's why he's the first fruits of those to be resurrected to eternal life. That's why Yahshua was so special and his resurrection was so special. Just as the wave sheaf was the first fruits of the barley harvest, Yahshua was the first fruits of those to be resurrected. You see, he was the first of the first. And at his coming, we know that those who are part of him will also be resurrected to eternal life. So we see a connection here between the wave sheaf of the Old Testament and Yahshua's resurrection in the New Testament. And why these concepts, even though distinct in many, many ways, are tied and connected. Because, again, as the wave sheaf represented the first grain harvest, Yahshua is our first fruits. He is essentially our wave sheaf representing the first to be resurrected from the dead to eternal life. John 20, beginning in verse 10, we find evidence of where Yahshua was presenting himself as a wave sheaf. So I'm going to read that. John 20, 10 through 16, it says, When the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and sees two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Yahshua had lain. And they said, Say unto her, Woman, why weeps thou? She saith unto them, Because thou hast taken away my master, and I know not where they have laid him. You see, they still thought that Joshua was dead and gone. Said, And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Joshua standing, and knew not that it was Joshua. Joshua said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seek thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Yahshua said unto her, Mary, she turned herself, and said unto him, Rabboni, that is to say, Master. We see several amazing things in this passage. We see here that Mary was at the tomb, weeping for the Messiah. As she looks and gazes into the sepulcher, she sees two angels, it says. The angels asked Mary why she was weeping, and she replied by saying that she did not know where Yahshua's body had been moved. Upon saying this, she turned around and she saw Yahshua, supposing, though, that he was the gardener. There's a lot of speculation as to why she did not recognize Yahshua. Some say that maybe her view of Yahshua was obscured. Others believe that Yahshua concealed his appearance to Mary. We'll see an example of this. I believe either explanation is possible. I tend to believe that, that he concealed his appearance for just a moment. And again, we'll see an example of this, of him doing this later in this message. 
Now we see that Yahshua eventually called out to Mary, and when she turned, she realized who it was. She realized that it was a risen Messiah. Prior to this moment, she believed that Yahshua was dead and that his body had been moved elsewhere. I'm sure in this single moment, she had a flood of emotions. She was probably a bit confused. After all, just a moment ago, she believed that he was still dead. But I'm sure she was beyond excited, realizing that he had risen from the grave. What do you suppose Yahshua was doing in the garden after his resurrection? What was he doing? Well, I believe he was there possibly presenting himself to Yahweh as a wave sheath. Just as a priest would in the Old Testament, just as a priest would wave the wave sheath in the Old Testament, I believe that Yahshua was presenting himself to Yahweh as the first fruits of those to be resurrected. Just as a high priest offered again the wave sheaf in the Old Testament, he was doing the same after the order of Melchizedek, realizing and recognizing now that he has become the wave sheaf in the New Testament. Now we know from the Bible that Yahshua was in the tomb for three days and three nights. In Matthew 12, verse 40, it says this, Yahshua said, For as Jonas, or Jonah, was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. When it says here, three days and three nights, we know this is referring to three full days and three full nights, to 72 hours. Most believe that the Messiah died on Friday and was resurrected then on Sunday morning. When we count, though, between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning, we can't get three full days. We can't get close to three full days. So what is the chronology of the Messiah? I want to spend just a few minutes talking about the chronology of Yahshua and, and how long he was actually in the tomb. Of course, we know that. It was three days and three nights. Scripture says it. But how do we prove it? How do we confirm that it was three days and three nights? Or Luke 23 is my go-to passage, if you will, for this. So we're going to see this. I'm going to break this down a bit further for you. But it says there in verse 51... The same had not consented to the council indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of Elohim. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Yahshua. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein man, never man before, was laid. And that day was the preparation of the Sabbath that drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulchre, and how his body was laid, and they resurrected or they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the command. So here's a um, breakout of these days. The easiest way to determine the three days and three nights is to recognize the last Sabbath here as the weekly Sabbath. So we know this is Saturday. It gives us a a point to build on. And just we simply go backwards from this point. So I'm going to read this one more time here. The same had not consented, again, this is Joseph of Arimathea, consented the counsel and needs of them. He was of Arimathea, city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of Elohim. Now we know that this was Wednesday, and we're going to see this because we know there's three days and three nights here. So this was Wednesday. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Yahshua. He, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. 
and that day was the preparation. The only day actually called the preparation in Scripture is Passover. I know we often say the preparation day in reference to Friday, and there's nothing wrong with that, but technically speaking, Friday is not called the preparation day. The only day called a preparation day is Passover, and as we see here, it's the day of preparation. Preparing for what? It prepares for the feast, which begins immediately after the Passover. So it says, and the Sabbath drew on. So what do you suppose a Sabbath here? Or the Sabbath would be the first high-day Sabbath. This would be the first high-day Sabbath. So this would be the 15th of Abib, and that day was drawing on. So this would be Thursday, Thursday, or the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. So they followed him that day. And then Friday they returned and prepared spices and ointments. So they knew where the sepulcher was. They went back home. They prepared spices that Friday because they could not do it Thursday because Thursday was a high Sabbath. So they prepared those spices on Friday. And then it goes on to say, in the return prepared spices, and it says, rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So we know that Sabbath is, again, that point. We know it's the weekly Sabbath. So, again, if you just count three days from there, we have, again, Sabbath, Friday, Thursday, and then Wednesday. We know that Yahshua would have been placed in the tomb. Now, we know that Yahshua was placed in the tomb. He died around 3 p.m. All evidence shows that he was placed in the tomb prior to right before the the uh, right before the start of the high day, so that uh, before sunset on Wednesday. I want to share with you a reference. This is the Dake, the Dake Annotated Reference Bible, great Bible. Certainly don't agree with everything within it, but it offers some very insightful notes here. So here's a screenshot I took. It says, uh, I'm going to read it as it is here. It says, Christ was dead for three full days and for three full nights. He was put in the grave Wednesday just before sunset and was resurrected at the end of Saturday at sunset. Good Friday should be changed to Good Wednesday. No statement says that he was buried Friday at sunset. This would make him in the grave only one day and one night, proving his own words untrue. Verse 40. The Sabbath of John 19 verse 31, which is the Sabbath after the preparation here, was not the regular Sabbath one but the special Sabbath of the feast. He notes on John, so on and so forth. So he, he understands it. So Yahshua was, he, uh, the, the Passover would have been Tuesday evening. Wednesday would have been the, the day that he uh, died and was placed in the tomb right before sunset. Remember, Scripture says that he would be in the heart of the earth for three full days, three full nights. Some people do gym, mental gymnastics trying to make all this work, but if you simply stick with what Scripture says, he was put in the tomb, Wednesday before, before the high day, so Wednesday evening, and then he was resurrected Saturday or Sabbath before sunset, three full days, three full nights, Wednesday evening through Saturday evening. So I want to move on now and review the events of Yahshua's resurrection beginning in Luke. So I'm going to really focus on Luke's evangel today. Luke 24, verse 1 says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. In this passage, it says that they came to the tomb. Now, who were they? Who were they who 
came to the tomb. According to Mark 16.1, they would be Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. So when did the three women come to the tomb, and why were they there? So when did they come? We believe that the women came to the tomb Sunday morning before sunrise, and they were there to anoint the body of Yahshua the Messiah. Now, there is, there is some debate on this. Some believe that the women came to the tomb late on the Sabbath, Saturday after, or Saturday um, sunset, or around there. But based on the chronology of all the evangels, it appears that the women came to the tomb Sunday morning. So we're going to spend a little bit of time just looking at this. And we believe this, too, years ago. So I'm going to read 28, verse 1. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. From the description here, we find that this is the same event as found in Luke 24, verse 1. The women came to the tomb looking and wanting to prepare Yahshua's body. According to Matthew, the women came to the tomb at the end of the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Many will focus here on the word dawn in Matthew 28. This word comes from the Greek epiphosko. Strong's defines this word as to grow to begin or grow light, begin to dawn, and it also adds another definition here, draw on. According to Thayer's, this word means, epiphosco, to draw, to grow light, or to dawn. As we see here from Strong's, one way of rendering epiphosco is to draw on. So based on this, some will interpret this as saying, as it began to draw on toward the first day of the week, in other words, it was not yet there that the sabbath was still in play indicating again that it was still sabbath and not the first day of the week well for me there are two challenges with this number one the main definition from strong's and thayer's is to is to begin to grow light or a sunset it doesn't begin to grow light the light diminishes so it certainly doesn't fit the definition the main definition that we find from strong's and thayer's and number two, the, only, the other three evangels seem fairly conclusive that this occurred on the first day of the week early in the morning. So here's a slide. I thought this would be the best way of doing this. Here's a slide comparing all four cases here. So, And I'm going to read through all of them. Matthew 20, verse 1 says again, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. So that's Matthew's account. And again, keep in mind that Pafosco, dawn, means generally to, to grow in light, not to diminish in light. Mark 16, 1 through 2, which is a, a little clearer, it says, and when the Sabbath was passed. So it says here very specifically that it was not Sabbath. It says, and very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. So very clear that this was the first day of the week. And at the rising of the sun, which again would agree with Epiphosco, with this concept of growing light, light not diminishing. Luke 24, verse 1, we've read it, but I'll read it again. Now, upon the first of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher. So again, indicating an early morning visit. John 20, verse 1, it says, the first day of the week comes Mary Magdalene early. Now, this adds when it was yet dark. So the other evangels aren't that specific, but here we see it was early in the morning. It was Sunday morning, and it was before sunrise. But it was growing light 
But it says, when it was dark, they came unto the sepulcher. So as we see from the, with the exception of um, Matthew, and really Matthew does too, with the uh, use of epiphosco, depending on how we render that. But Mark, Luke, and John all verified that the women came to the tomb early Sunday morning. And again, John stipulates that it was before sunrise, that it was still dark. Again, based on the Greek epiphosco, this is also likely the meaning and interpretation for Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, does this prove some people that get real concerned about this because they, they start, okay, what, is this, what does this mean for Yahshua's resurrection? Nothing. This means nothing. Because who wasn't, who wasn't there? Yahshua wasn't there. Yahshua was gone. Yahshua had already risen. So whether the women came to the tomb early Sunday morning, late Sunday evening, whenever they came, Yahshua had already risen from the grave. So this proves nothing. Now, some people will try to prove something from this, but believe me, it proves nothing. Because, again, Yahshua had already, was already resurrected from the grave. So this proves really nothing as it pertains to Yahshua's resurrection and whether that was Sabbath or Sunday. We, we've already seen from the chronology of the evangels when Yahshua was res- resurrected. It was late on the Sabbath. had to be late on the Sabbath. Because, again, he was in the tomb for three days and three nights. The only thing that fits chronologically looking at the evangels would be, again, a Wednesday burial and a Saturday late resurrection around sunset. And again, the women came, as we see here, early in the morning, as we know, to prepare Yahshua's body. So again, this Timing has nothing to do with Yahshua's resurrection, but it's a point I wanted to clarify for the congregation. Well, let's now continue here with Luke 24, verse 2. And we're going to read down through verse 11. It says, And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the master Yahshua. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, they were confused. Behold, two men, now remember in the other evangelists says angels, but here it says two men, stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be impelled in the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned it from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, the other women that were with them, which told the, uh, these things unto the apostles and their words seemed to be as idle tells, and they believed them not. We've already seen from John's evangel that that there's a few differences between what we find here in John. We see here that when the women came to the tomb in Luke, that they looked inside the tomb and they saw men. John's evangel says two angels. And when the women saw the angels, we see here that they were afraid. In fact, we see that they bowed themselves before these angels. We also see some dialogue here between these angels and the women. It's ironic, too, by the way, that women were there, not the men, the women. They were there to, to uh, again, prepare the body. These angels asked the women why they were looking for the living among the dead and reminded them about the 
Yahshua's promise of rising in three days. You know, it's interesting. We don't see this dialogue in the other evangel. But here we see it. And uh, Brother Michael gave a great workshop kind of exploring this, how we have to look and piece the puzzle, pieces of the puzzle together to fully understand. Now after this, it says here that the women went back. They told the eleven among and those uh, with them what they had seen, what they had heard. Notice how the disciples here received and responded to this message. We find here that they refused to believe. They refused to believe. They accused the women here of speaking nonsense, of sharing or telling idle tales. Keep in mind that the women are sharing this with his closest disciples, Yahshua's closest and most beloved friends who were with him. And again, what we find here is that they refused to believe that Yahshua had risen. For me, the fact that the apostles refused to believe that Yahshua rose from the grave is stunning, especially when we know that Yahshua shared this truth with them during his ministry. We see an example of this in Luke 18, verse 31 through 33. It says, And he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Considering that Yahshua and the apostles were inseparable for about three years, and that Yahshua spoke of his own resurrection while yet with him, how is it even possible that they were reluctant to believe, that they refused to believe. If anything, it shows that they were not yet fully converted. We know this. It wasn't until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when they really understood, they really got it. You know, Peter just went through a radical transformation, as we see, when he received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was in Acts 2 where Peter gives this dynamic message. And as a result, we know that 3,000 people were immersed. Now, we also know, obviously, that Yahweh's Spirit was poured out in a big way and that the folks there spoke in tongues and languages. But again, Peter then followed that with this message. And as a result, people were pricked in their hearts and they were converted, about 3,000. Now, starting in Luke 24, verse 12, we find Yahshua appearing before the apostles. Luke 24, 12 through 17 says, And arose Peter and ran. So even though they disbelieved here, they, they still went. They had to look into this and for themselves. It says, And then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he, behold, the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they walked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed, communed together and reasoned, Yahshua himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden, they were holden, that they should not know him. So they were with him. 
but they did not know who it was. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you that have one to another as you walk and are sad? Even after seeing the empty tomb here, we find that Peter and those with him still did not believe. They still did not believe. They were confused, not knowing what had happened. As they were traveling to the city near Jerusalem, about seven miles, we see here that Yahshua comes to them. But again, he was concealed. They did not know who he was. And I believe that this was supernaturally done. It had to be. It had to be supernaturally done. Yahshua had to conceal it. And I'm not sure how it was done or, or how it was done, but it was done. Scripture says it was done. Scripture says that he was right there with them, but that he, they did not know or realize who it was. Again, it says here, their eyes were holden, holden, not that they should not know him. Yashra asked his disciples here, why are they so sad? What's the reason for your concern? Well, they still believe that Yahshua did not rise from the grave. Now, starting in verse 18, we see that Yahshua would make himself known, though. Verse 18 through 32 says, And one of them, whose name was Clopas, answered, answering, said unto him, Aren't there only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? You see, they did not realize who he was. It says, And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Yahshua of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and Word before Elohim and all the people said they recognized what? They recognized that he was a prophet. Interestingly, it doesn't say here the son of Yahweh, it doesn't say here the Messiah. It says he was a prophet and he did all these great things. Word before Elohim and all the people and how the chief priests and all rulers delivered him, in, uh, delivered him to be condemned to death and have impelled him. But we trusted that he, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. So notice what they were looking for. They were looking for someone who would redeem Israel. We'll talk more about that, but I want to point that out. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, the certain, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and they found not the body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive, and certain of them which were with us, went to the sepulcher and found it even so as a woman had said, but to believe all the prophets have spoken, ought not Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, he expounded upon what had happened unto all the scriptures of things concerning himself. And they drew nigh to the village whither they went, and he made us made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is forward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. Even after 
again, seeing the tomb, we find here that they were still struggling. They still did not believe that Yahshua was risen. And they see Yahshua here coming to them, believing that he was just simply a stranger, unaware of what had happened, how Yahshua was condemned and killed by the Romans. I want to consider a few points. Number one, the disciples here recognized that Yahshua was a prophet. They also recognized that he was mighty in work and deeds. But again, it doesn't say here that they believed or recognized. I think they probably did, but still, it's kind of strange here. They did not say he was the son of Yahweh or the Messiah, simply a prophet. There's many prophets. Yahshua was just a prophet. Number two, they believed that he was going to redeem Israel. Now, what were they referring to here when they said redeem Israel? Well, many of the Jews, including many of Yahshua's own disciples, believed that the Messiah was going to free them from Roman occupation. That was their concept of the Messiah. The concept of the Messiah was a warrior king, if you will, who would come and redeem his people from their enemies. This is still how many modern Jews view the Messiah. They view the Messiah as this man, this being who will come to relinquish them from their enemies. Now, when Yahshua does return, we know from prophecy that this will happen. We know that he will conquer the man of sin, that he will destroy the man of sin, and that he will redeem Israel and restore Israel back to her land. And that's what Israel's looking for here. The disciples thought that Yahshua was going to redeem Israel, that, that he was going to restore their land, that he was going to restore them and remove their enemies. This is one reason why so many Jews refused to believe who Yahshua was during his first ministry or his first coming. You see, they were not looking for a Messiah who would die for their sins. They were looking for a conquering Messiah who would save them from the Roman occupation that they were under. And as we see here, that wasn't the case. And we know from prophecy that that wasn't the case. Now, getting back to the story here, Yahshua admonished the disciples by saying, you fools and slow in heart. You see, here he is a stranger, supposedly, and now he's chastising the disciples for not believing, for not realizing what had happened. He explains from the Torah and from the prophets who and what the Messiah was and what he would do. And again, from evidence, these still were unaware at this point that it was him. They were unaware that it was the Messiah who was doing these things. As evening set in, they invited Yahshua to be with them. And as they sat to eat, Yahshua broke bread. He blessed it. And upon doing this, we see that their eyes were opened. They finally realized who stood before them. They finally understood and acknowledged that Yahshua was resurrected from the grave. Now, this moment, in this moment, he vanished from their sight. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the disciples? Here you're told by these women that Yahshua had risen. You're dumbfounded, can't prove it, can't support it, don't believe it from all accounts. And this stranger comes to you, starts talking about the Messiah, admonishes you, chastises you, explains what the Messiah was going to do, still don't understand. And then in that moment, I think Yahshua allowed them to see it, or then they understood and they realized who he was. And in that moment, he simply vanished. It says here that they burned within themselves as they were with Yahshua. He's... They, they, I think their spirit realized that there was something special about this man, but they just did not realize who he was, did not realize the connection, who he was. 
Before moving on, I want to focus for just a moment on what we find in verse 21. Some people would use this to prove, again, a Sunday resurrection. It is a bit problematic. It says there again, today is the third day since these things were done. Now, as you can imagine, many will point this out. So look, here's the evidence, third day. This is Sunday. We know it's Sunday. So third day would be Sunday, proving a Sunday resurrection. So how do we explain this? Well, I believe the answer is found in the Greek. There's one explanation anyway. The word sense here comes from the Greek apa, which is a primary particle, meaning off that is away or something near. The King James, in addition to many other ways, translates this as after, after. Based on this, this passage could be rendered, today is the third day after these things were done. Referring to the day after his resurrection, which would be a Sunday, but putting still his resurrection then on Sabbath. On Sabbath. So that's one way of explaining that. I still consider this somewhat problematic, but in no way does it prove that Yahshua was resurrected Sunday. Again, based on the chronology in Yahshua's own words, we know that he was in the tomb for three days, three nights. And as we can see from the chronology, it was from Wednesday through Saturday night. Now, starting in verse uh, 33, we find that he would appear before the 11. 33 through 40, it says, And they arose, or they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The master is risen indeed, or they finally understand. And hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known to them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spoke, Joshua himself stood in the midst or middle of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why are you concerned? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, what it is I myself, that it is myself. Handle me and see me, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed himself, showed his hands and his feet. After Yahshua showed himself here to the disciples, they immediately returned to Jerusalem to share the news with the eleven, with the others. Remember that Judas was no longer among them. Now as they um, shared the news, Yahshua appeared in the room with the apostles and stood in the middle of them. Now, how did the apostles respond when seeing the Messiah? They were afraid, it says. They were afraid. They they were frightened. They thought that they had seen a spirit of some sort of apprehension to make them believe. Yahshua to show them his hands, his feet, prove to them flesh and bone. When we think about everything the apostles knew, remembering that Yahshua also spoke about his resurrection with them, and everything that they had witnessed after his resurrection. It's amazing here that they're still afraid. They're frightened, it says. They're scared. They don't know what to make of this man who now stands before them. He had to show them the holes in his hands or wrists and feet to make them believe. Sometimes we refer to doubting Thomas or, you know, all, all the apostles here had some issues. 
He had to show them the same thing that he showed to Thomas. They were with him for three years, never fully understood the purpose for his coming, evidently. They never understood his mission and what he would do and what he would accomplish, but they did now. Verse 41, we see that they finally realize that the man who stood before them was the resurrected Messiah. 41 through 53, it says, And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? Some ask, Can angels eat, or will we eat? Or we know that angels can eat. Yahshua ate. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. How many people here knew, by the way, that Psalms is a prophetic book? There's a lot of prophecy in Psalms, as we see here. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it is behooved Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins it should be preached in the name among all nations, in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued or endowed with power from on high. Now we know that was speaking about Pentecost. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they continually in the temple praising and blessing Elohim and Amen. After eating some fish and honeycomb here, we see that Joshua opened up the Apostles' understanding. After being with him for three years, three years, I believe that this was really the first time they understood his purpose. They understood why he came. They understood what he had to accomplish. We see here that Yahshua used, again, the law of Moses. He used the prophets. He used Psalms to, to validate who he was the son of Yahweh, the Messiah. You know, as a side note, the fact that Yahshua used these scriptures to support who he was shows that these scriptures are just as relevant for us today, whether it be, again, the law of Moses, the Old Testament, or the Psalms. All of these writings are essential. There are so many believers, Bible believers, who only focus on the New Testament. They believe that's the only thing relevant to them. Where scripture shows that everything's relevant, especially the law and the prophets and the Psalms, as we see here. For just a moment, imagine what it must have been like for the apostles. Not only was Yahshua alive, but they now fully understood the reason and purpose for his coming. I'm sure at this moment they were completely overwhelmed with emotion, realizing again the first time why he had come. And what his purpose was. Just from an emotional standpoint, it was probably hard for them to even process what was happening. And what they were hearing and what they were seeing and what they were witnessing. And we see here that when they went to Bethany, that Joshua lifted his hands and blessed them. And after this, 
We see here that the gospel was taken into heaven. Now, I would, I would have, wouldn't that be great to see that, to be there? When Yahshua was elaborating who he was, blessing his disciples, and then as they watch him go into heaven. Try to imagine the emotion and reaction that the apostles were feeling at this moment. Imagine being one of them and watching Yahshua as you see him ascend into the sky, into the clouds. Besides his second coming, I can't think of anything better than seeing our resurrected Savior rise to heaven, rise into the clouds, rising into the sky, rising into Yahweh's angelic kingdom. You know, as a Passover represents his death, this feast foreshadows his victory over death. It's important that we understand things like leavening and unleavening and unleavening, why these things should be removed and what they represent. But the real meaning and the real message behind this time is not that, not the meaning of leavening, the real, the main message, that's part of it. But the main message, the main focus, the main message, the main teaching here is Yahshua and his resurrection. Just as we focus on his death during the Passover, we now focus on his resurrection and what that resurrection means and brings to you and I. If Yahshua would have never rose from the grave, we would be without a savior and we would be without hope of the resurrection today. Paul in Romans 6 verse 5 says this, for he says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which refers to baptism there, baptism, so through baptism we, we die to him, says we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the message here is as we are immersed and by so doing we die to our old man through Messiah, we now have the hope of sharing in his resurrection. It's such an important message. The Passover and the Feast and Eleven Bread are all about redemption and salvation. Without the events that occurred during this time, we would be without a Savior, we would, we would be without the Messiah, and we would be without the hope of the resurrection, eternal life. Let us remember and thank Yahweh for our son. Thank Yahweh for all that he did. Remember that it was Yahweh who gave his only begotten son. It was Yahweh who sacrificed his only son so that we might have the hope of eternal life in his kingdom. And realize again the importance and the significance of this time. As it is our custom, I want to close today by pronouncing upon all those. Let's all stand and receive this blessing now. Yahweh be, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his face toward you and give you peace. May Yahweh bless you.